This is Rachel Stewart for the WDAV Piedmont Arts Podcast. This time, we have two visitors to help us preview the end-of-year Masterworks performance by the Davidson College Choirs with the Choral Art Society of Davidson and Pro Arte Orchestra. It's coming up on Sunday, May 6th at 3 p.m. in Duke Family Performance Hall on the campus of Davidson College. The featured work is Jubilate Deo by Dan Forrest, one of the most acclaimed and widely performed choral composers working today. And I'm pleased to have him here to talk about this recent work. So, Dan, thank you for making some time to come in. Glad to be with you, Rachel. Um, before we talk about Jubilate Deo and uh, the work the work that's on the program, um, can you talk a little bit about what it's like to compose for choral groups to compose vocal music? Uh, Is there a certain process you use? Is it different from composing for other instruments, as it were? Uh, In some ways, music is music, but there are other ways in which I think writing for voices is different than instruments. Yeah, for sure. I began my career as a musician, as a pianist, and kind of gradually switched over from the, the keyboard arts to just loving the voice um, and, and actually turning away from piano for a while before I kind of came full circle again with it. But I I kind of got my start in instrumental music, um, just thinking about purely musical concerns. But um, every instrument is trying—every, every, whether it's piano or, or strings or winds, everyone's trying to sing. Um, every, every instrument is used to seeing the word cantabile in their music, and I, I think that's because of the supremacy of the voice, frankly. And cantabile, just for people who don't know, is Italian for singing. singing. tone. Yeah, you got to sing this line. Music teachers say that all the time to their students, sing this out. So there's no phrase that tells vocalists to sing like an instrumentalist. (laughs) We're all trying to sing. So I I felt like I needed to go where the music making was happening in its most pure form. I also got tired of the the piano notes just sort of dying when I pressed them. The sound just decays Whereas the voice, you can crescendo or sustain or, you know, mezzo de voce, all these things. It's so expressive. And then, of course, you add text, too, and that adds a whole new dimension to what you're doing. So I love doing all of it. And probably my favorite thing is to write for instrumental ensembles with chorus, because then I have all that color and all those resources, but I'm using it to highlight my favorite instrument, the voice. Uh, I have a quote here. Someone described your work as very cleverly constructed sound sculpture. Do you think that fits what you do? Um, well, I put it in my bio, so it has to fit something <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I, that was specifically written um, of a piece where I set only one word to music, Hosanna. And um, I actually was kind of stuck with what to do with it. And my composition teacher, I was in grad school at the time, said, why don't you just chop that word up into pieces and do all kinds of crazy things with it? So I sort of did sculpt with the musical materials that I had and the textual materials that I had on that piece. I don't know if it applies to all the rest of my music, but if we want to compare one art form to another, then sure. <laughs> it's a great analogy. <laughs> well, let's talk about the the work that's on the program on May 6th, and, and that's Jubilate Deo. Tell us a little bit about when you wrote it, um, some of what inspired you to write it. And, and one thing I will point out is that it is in not one language, but about six languages? Seven or eight, yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's complicated. Uh, I wrote Jubilate Deo in 2015 and 16 as a commission for the Indianapolis Children's Choirs. Um, Their conductor, Henry Leck, was stepping down, 
and wanted a, a big piece to fill out the second half of his retirement concert, his farewell concert. So he and I went back and forth. We and we've we've worked together before on a few other commissions, and we always have a, a long back and forth process of what the piece is going to be. And he wants things to be just so, and I have to find something that really works for me. So we batted around all kinds of ideas. But one day in an email, he just said to me, "What would you think about writing a jubilate deo?" So it's Psalm 100. Um, in Latin, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all ye lands. And I looked at that text and just thought, wait a minute, all ye lands. What could I do with this uh, musically and, and textually in terms of language to portray all the world coming together in praise that way? So that just, it struck with a chord with me. It, it um, Something stirred in me. And that's when good pieces usually happen. <laughs> a little light bulb comes on somewhere. So that fit his occasion really well. Um, I, uh, he's traveled all over the world. I'd been in his office and it's full of, um, all sorts of musical instruments and things from all over. So it, it fit his personality and his career well as a tribute to. So his choirs, the Indianapolis children's choirs, um, is a large organization with, um, little children's choirs as well as all the way up through senior high and his oldest ensemble sings really more like a college choir. So I really wrote kind of an adult sort of work, knowing that I would have very accomplished kids <laughs> who would be singing it. But I also had a bigger audience in mind after the premiere, too. So I had to choose which languages I was going to use, uh, which was no small task, trying to decide who to, who to uh, put in there and who had to be left out <laughs> in terms of languages. But I looked at all the major language groups of the earth and... Um, kind of cultures and looked at Psalm 100 in their languages and tried to choose the ones that would represent most of the major language groups and ones that would have kind of a lyrical quality about them. And so I ended up with seven movements, each of which is in a different language. What are the languages? The first movement is um, the entire psalm in Latin. The second uh, movement blends Arabic and Hebrew and that, that's kind of intentional, trying to pull those two cultures together, kind of a, a wish for them to come together in harmony. So they, there's harmony between them in my piece, even if not always uh, in this world. Uh, the third movement is in uh, Mandarin Chinese, which is a, a challenge for choirs to learn. I used a very small portion of the psalm so they wouldn't have to learn lots and lots of text in a language that's challenging. And that's a tonal language as well. So meaning changes depending whether you're rising and falling or, or dipping tone or keeping it the same. So how does that work when you are actually singing in that language? <laughs> that was my question to the, the native speaker that I worked with on that. What if I'm trying to say make a joyful noise and I'm saying make a joyful cake or <laughs> who knows what? Um, from what I am told, um, they kind of suspend that a little bit. They they can understand from context oh, that could mean this based on whether it's rising or falling, but obviously it means so we do the same thing. Um, we, we can understand what somebody means, even if it's a little off. So I think a really fine native speaker probably incorporates some of that rising and falling into the way they write their music, um, and I can't claim to be that. But I worked hard with the language and um, with a, a lady that speaks very well and tried to get it right so that I wasn't accidentally <laughs> saying something I didn't want to. <laughs> Uh, the fourth movement is called Ngokujabula, which is Zulu for um, shout for joy. And uh, that was probably my favorite movement to set. That Zulu language just dances and rolls rhythmically so, so beautifully. I just basically set speech rhythms to music there. The music was already in the words. 
The fifth movement is um, in Spanish, a little easier for most of us Americans. We'll speak some of that at least. Uh, the sixth movement actually doesn't have text. I call it, it's called Song of the Earth, and it's the earth um, singing forth its praise. There's scripture that says that if we don't praise him, the rocks will cry out. Um, so the idea there is that rocks and trees are, are singing forth their praise, even though they don't have words to do it. They're still kind of showing forth their maker's praise. Um, and at the end of that movement, the awe that, that the choir has been vocalizing kind of breaks out into alleluia. So there's a, a bit of a surprise. Oh, there is some some language here. And then the last movement, I kind of came back home and used English, <laughs> the language that I'm most used to speaking and setting. Um, and there's a little bit of Latin mixed in there as well to kind of round things out. So it's a pretty big journey, linguistically. Uh, yeah. I mean, not, <laughs> sounds like you set yourself uh, several challenges <laughs> in writing that piece. Yeah. But it's been really successful, and it's been performed several a number of times. Is that right? Yeah, I don't have the exact numbers my my publisher would, but there have I think been many dozen published uh, performances by this point. I don't know if it's hit a hundred yet, but yeah. it's slowly climbing, and it, it seems to be catching on. For which I'm thankful. So you're one of those contemporary composers who is enjoying performances of their work, and um, you know sometimes that doesn't happen until people have passed away, mm -hmm. or you know. Um, I'm just wondering. Why do you think these works are catching on with people? Or You've got Jubilate Deo, and you've got a couple others, I think, that are starting to become, I don't know if you'd call them standards yet, but 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 choirs are finding them and they're performing them. It's not just a one-off thing here and there. Sure, yeah. My Requiem, which I wrote before Jubilate Deo, has had uh, several hundred performances at this point and all around the world. It's been fascinating and really gratifying to see. If I knew how to make that happen, I would... Um, write a book and share my secret and we would all <laughs> be successful. I don't know. Um, I, I, in, in my worldview, I, I just have to attribute that to God's grace in, in my life and in his sovereign work. I can't manufacture that or just work hard and make it happen. Um, I just have to steward the gifts I'm given and try to use them well. I do think I've had a career so far that it was rooted in church music where things have to be very singable and doable. You have a volunteer choir. Um, they aren't going to have a lot of rehearsal time each week. And there are so many pieces on the market, frankly, mm. um, in that kind of market segment that you you can get lost in there unless you write something that is really tuneful and appealing and sticks with people and is attractive to both the the choir and the congregation who is just made up of normal people, not necessarily you know, great connoisseurs of, of fine art. Um, but yet I have this academic training with a, a terminal degree in my field. So I've had this kind of hybrid of, of training in the, the art music tradition and yet a lot of very practical down-to-earth experience in church music. And I think that maybe those two come together in a way that there's a, a level of craft in my music that speaks to the, the trained ear, the connoisseur, but yet maybe is still um, appealing to just the average person who gets dragged to a concert because their granddaughter is singing or something. You know? Right. But, so maybe there's something there that contributes. And do you feel like it's also um, accessible to amateur singers? Yeah, I, I work hard to write lines for, for each vo voice part, each singer, that are satisfying, that are gratifying, that are worthwhile 
we sometimes joke about Elto syndrome where they get da 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 stuck on the same note. <laughs> I try to write good lines for Elto's, be an equal opportunity employer. Um, but yeah, they have to be very singable and accessible in the church world. And so I think that influences how I write even more art music as well. And so maybe I get more performances that way because it's not out of reach for as many choirs. Well, Dan Forrest, thank you very much for speaking to us uh, on the Piedmont Arts Podcast today. And uh, good luck with the performance. I'm not sure if you're going to be there, but uh, the performance is coming up on May 6th at Davidson College. I'm thrilled to have been here, and uh, I wish everyone all the best on that concert coming up. Now I'm going to bring in our second guest for this episode of the Piedmont Arts Podcast. He's Christopher Gillum, Director of Choral Activities at Davidson College, and he'll be conducting the Masterworks concert coming up on May 6th at 3 p.m. in the Duke Family Performance Hall. So, Chris, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Rachel. Well, first of all, talk a little bit about the folks performing in this concert and, and tell us about Choral Arts Society at, at Davidson or of Davidson. Sure thing. The Choral Arts Society is a group of faculty, staff, and alumni from the college, uh, as well as the surrounding community members who come together uh, once a week, and we generally do a major work each semester uh, along with the holiday gala that we do every year. Um, And they are a part of the Davidson College Choirs. When I first came to Davidson, there was a a town and gown group uh, that was there in addition to the uh, chorale that I conduct, which is the top um, student choir at Davidson. And I realized that there was an opportunity really to build on um, the the force kind of of a community ensemble. And so we called them the Choral Arts Society of Davidson. And then we uh, you, uh, called the students in that ensemble the Davidson Singers. So we have two student ensembles now on campus. And the Choral Arts Society of Davidson is the community group. And they come together now. I believe there's about a, approximately 100 Davidson students, um, and there are about 80 or 90, I believe, Choral Arts Society. And depending on uh, sickness or whatever, we'll have about 170 on the stage. That'll be the case for this concert. That'll be the case for this concert. That's our end-of-year Masterworks concert. So it's really an exciting uh, event. So you are performing music by Dan Forrest. You're performing Jubilate Deo. What made you choose this work? Well, the... Choral Arts Society of Davidson a couple of years ago in the fall actually did his Requiem for the Living, and they were so fond of his music and his writing, and it was something that not only did it provide them an exceptional challenge, uh, but it also was very, very accessible for them and accessible for the audience. And uh, as a choral conductor and voice teacher, it really allowed me to be able to kind of get in there and work with the singers and really kind of develop our choral tone and develop kind of our understanding of how to approach certain lines. So um, when I found out that Dan had this work uh, available, I looked immediately into programming it. And I also try to vary our choral repertoire enough to where uh, for instance, last year we did uh, the Vaughn Williams' A Sea Symphony, and that was uh, an extended choral work in a language that they're familiar and yet not familiar with. So I try to alternate um, with more modern choral language that the singers immediately tend to understand or can uh, engage with, uh, as well as with uh, composers of past centuries that they 
repertoire that they need to know. So that's how I kind of came to And, of course, Dan and I have known each other for a good many years, and uh, it's always a privilege to be able to program and perform one of his works. He's such a an exquisite composer, uh, but also just an exceptional person. And so I really enjoy uh, promoting his music. You know, we before you came on, uh, we talked a little bit about making sure that uh, the music is accessible mm-hmm. to singers, mm-hmm. and that's something apparently mm-hmm. that's a priority for him. Not necessarily simple, but just singable. For that's them. right. Um, I... Th- can't speak for all composers, but I know that uh, Dan understands what it is to be in an ensemble and to want to be able to connect with the music that you're working so hard on. Um, I feel like some composers uh, just want to throw challenges at singers um, or they forget, perhaps. Uh, And this is, of course, not all, and I'm not trying to lump them all into one category, but I think it's easy to forget that singers... Um, have an instrument too. And a lot of times the people that are performing those works are amateur musicians. And so if they want their works performed and they want them to be able to be um, enjoyed by singers, then the singers need to be able to uh, not only to be accessible to their modern ear, but accessible to their own voices and to their own bodies. And that's what Dan does so really well, Is um, especially in the Jubilate Deo, you'll hear a work like number four that is um, rhythmically challenging and the language is uh, can trip up the tongue. But then you have other um, sections like Movement 6, the Alleluia, that really allow the singer to just kind of rest on the one word, Alleluia, but also to be able to sing these beautifully sweeping lines. And that's what really grabs the chorister, and that's what makes them come back to Dan Forrest uh, year after year and to want to do his works because he knows how to write for the singer and uh, for the professional as well as for the amateur. And that's important. I do have to ask you, though, how it went singing all those languages. <laughs> the ensembles are uh, working hard and they are coming along well. They're, I think uh, everyone who attends will, will really be pleased with uh, the work that they've done on all the languages. I think that's a really interesting concept. It's a very interesting concept, and it's one that's really captured the attention of the choirs. That's great. Um, So you said you're going to have 170? Close to 170, yeah. Okay. How do you rehearse that many people? What's your process for Mm. making sure that's just not a big chaotic mess? Well, we preparation is always key, and we start at the beginning of the semester um, with each of my ensembles, it's a little bit different. So the the Choral Arts Society, I think of them as kind of the, this is the work that they uh, uh, work on all semester. They just also sang with the, the uh, choir from Oxford, the Christchurch Cathedral Choir from Oxford. So they had that literature in addition to the forest. But we've been touching on this music all semester and kind of uh, chipping away at it to make sure that uh, we know it. And there's always this process uh, as I'm going through, I kind of assess weekly where they are, what needs to be worked on. And then, of course, the Davidson College Choirs, uh, because we have uh, spring concerts and uh, a lot of other literature that we're working on, um, I let them see it a little bit less, but I also depend 
on their sight reading and uh, on their musical training to be able to kind of hear uh, towards the performance to really be able to uh, access the work fairly quickly. And then what we do is put things together like tonight. Dan will work with our choirs for two hours. Um, and we will be in Duke. We'll be seated around so we'll get an idea of what the acoustic is like. And then, of course, we put the work together in um a large dress rehearsal before the performance. And so on Saturday, um, there will be a huge, you know, rehearsal and we'll hopefully have foreseen all the areas where the difficulty will be. And it'll be just a matter of working with these professional musicians, these professional instrumentalists who are just exceptional. Um, and then having the choirs done it. And since the choirs have sung in this space with so many people before, we're hoping that, you know, there's not too much challenge in putting it together. I think it's, it sounds like it's going to be really great. I'm and, so excited. And really um, powerful, probably, right? I hope so. It, it's it's our hope that audiences not only come to enjoy the music, but that they go away having experienced music and having had an artistic experience that, you know, you can't get in in any other way but but a live experience and um i was talking about that with a professional instrumentalist the other day that how important it is that in our art that we really communicate in the live setting because we're it's humanity that we're trying to grab um in the seat and we're trying to really engage that artistry and engage that spirit that music does. The choristers get it and they feel it and they love it and they want everybody to enjoy it with them. And so it it behooves us then as we're as performers to really engage with the audience so that they not only say, hey, that was a neat piece to experience um, visually and, and but that they experience it also viscerally. And I think that's what really promotes art in this era. It's easy to hear things over the radio. It's in the car, kind of uh, in the background, those kinds of ideas. But really engaging in the purposeful attendance at concerts and then really engaging with the music. I think that's what leaves us changed as audience members because we know as artists that's what leaves us changed as we engage with that music and internalize it. Yeah, that uh, communication with the audience is absolutely is really um, when it happens. It's it's one of the best things. I think so. I think so. My guest has been Christopher Gillum, director of choral activities for Davidson College. He'll conduct the end of year masterworks performance by the Davidson College choirs with the Choral Arts Society of Davidson and Pro Arte Orchestra, and that's happening Sunday, May sixth at three p.m. in Duke Family Performance Hall. Chris, thanks again for speaking with me. And uh, earlier, I spoke with Dan Forrest, whose work Jubilate Deo is on Sunday's program. For the WDAV Piedmont Arts Podcast, I'm Rachel Stewart. This has been the Piedmont Arts Podcast, presented by WDAV and powered by Ortho Carolina. Subscribe to this podcast at wdav.org slash subscribe. And follow us on Facebook for classical music news, humor, and programming updates. WDAV is a service of Davidson College supported by listeners like you. Find us on the radio at 89.9 FM and HD1, streaming at WDAV.org, or on our mobile app, available at Google Play and the iTunes App Store.